0: Welcome to The Smoking Spot, a really good podcast about weed. I'm Ryan Heron in Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Amanda Breeze in Toronto. We're here this week on the pink couch having an awkward conversation about aphrodisiacs and arousing strains. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's February. Let's talk about stinking flowers. Let's talk about weed and why weed attracts people and why flower attracts people. And hey, look at this. We got our our little love note, our little valentine to our favorite plant.
1: Yeah. Why are we so drawn to stinky florals and skunky weed? It's a good
0: question. And it's the, you know, we did a little research for this episode and I was just really lit up by the whole thing. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this, oh yeah, that. Because it it just hits all of my, uh, the things that fascinate me. Evolution, um, the spice trade, right? Human attraction is something. So it actually got into this like nice little pocket here where I felt like, okay, this isn't some pandering topic we're doing to get something out by Valentine's Day.
1: Did you discover any like, crazy facts on your rabbit hole through stinks
0: ah oh, damn good question what i did was like solidify facts that had already been floating around in my head i i really i just want to like jump all over the place is there any order we need to take this in do we need to go back to like before mammals existed and like plants and insects roam the earth creating this codependence i mean
1: Honestly, the thing is, is that this is the problem with smells. It really, once you go a little deeper than the surface, you start to dive into like crazy areas. And I would just say on a surface level, what a lot of people have been talking about lately is that white paper that was put out in November, you know, the um, Tropicana sulfurs, the indole, the scatol. And I think people have become really uh, focused on the poo-poo smell that, that everyone's talking about. Weed is a flower, weed is an exotic flower, as are roses, jasmine, um, neroli. Uh, These are all exotic flowers and they all contain fragrant and foul smells together, which snowballs into a lot of directions.
0: It really does. Okay, so then let's start here. Flowers exist to try and reproduce. Flowers are basically the sex organs of the plants they're attached to. So that's why they're there. They're there to attract pollinators. They're there to have their pollen caught in the wind a little bit. They're Really, flowers are trying every single trick you can imagine and can't imagine to pass on their genetics. And so we get, from all of these different approaches, tons of different expressions. And a lot of those are scent-based because hey, that's how the insect world communicates, and that's how animals communicate a lot, and especially that's how plants communicate. I I thought this was kind of fun uh, reading, maybe you saw this too, that the very first pheromone that was discovered was from a female silk moth. So the first place we even discovered pheromones that are attractant aromas um, was in moths. So like, Smells and attraction starts there.:
1: um, Anyone who is a friend of mine listening to this podcast knows I'm cringing right now because I fucking hate moths, and I hate that I now know that fact.
0: Well, moths were likely one of the first like pollinators attracted to scent. And so we actually have moths to thank for many of like these the scents like starting, and then other things for letting them get more complex.
1: Ryan, I'm literally having an existential crisis right now. I hate moths so much.
0: <laughs>
1: and I hate that they're attributed to that. That is actually really traumatic.
0: Um, okay, I had a traumatic experience when I could not afford to throw away all my food, realizing that it everything in my pantry had moths in it, like, like all of the things. It was just getting to the point where I was like, oh, you know what? I should probably throw away uh, something that... No, everything. Uh, tears running down my face, moths flying out of my cupboards. I'm I'm so glad I got that taken care of. But yeah, what a pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, we've all been there. Uh, that definitely co-op houses, punk houses. Yeah, no, that's really interesting about moths. I really did. I did not know that.
0: I, I think that's the fun part of like orchids is that most of them have an like a unique individual species of moth that will pollinate it. And some scientist was able to like demonstrate this because there's this crazy orchid with this really long plume it's like 13 inches of flower to get down to the like nectar to to pollinate it like to get to that that little pollen sac and everyone's like look there, how is this being pollinated and he found a moth that had a 13 inch proboscis nose that would like unfurl into this flower the uh, synergy between flowers and orchids and moths it's it's wild man
1: When I think of pollinators, especially for stinks and exotics, I definitely consider flies. And I think flies are one of the most underrated pollinators. And also just like if you start digging up facts on flies, there's like millions of species that haven't even been discovered yet. There's like kajillion flies on the planet. Like, you know, we think of bees, we think of butterflies, we think of moths. And then, you know, you have your flies on the other hand. And I think that's actually... What I think is so crazy about these like animalic stink scents is that mm-hmm. a lot of them are actually being produced to attract flies because they like shit and shit smells.
0: I, I think that that is is very cool. And this is something we've kind of talked about in the past, but what do you think about finding those scents outside of cannabis?
1: Jasmine is one of those suffocatingly heavy aromatics. Like really suffocatingly intense. And interestingly, most jasmine is around 10% indole, which is the aromatic molecule that smells like stinking, like cooked meats and has that animal aromatic. Like that's a very high percentage for a flower to have of a stink.
0: Right. So because jasmine, I I think is more typically pollinated by things like butterflies that are attracted to that sweet scent. What is your thought on why it also has like 10% funk to it?
1: I That is a great question. Um, why does it, I don't know. A lot of exotic flowers do, I guess. The idea of an animalic smell is that it's supposed to like detract certain predators and attract certain things. So we've talked about the attraction factor. So maybe it's trying to detract certain predators from coming near it, including possibly even humans. I mean, if we go back far enough, the thing about these rotting smells is that they're supposed to signify to us and our like cave people selves that um, there may be danger afoot, right? Like, oh, if we smell something rotting, it could mean that like, death is near, predators are near, it could signify danger. And so a lot of smell scientists basically posit that the reason humans are so attracted to these rotting smells or smells with rotting undertones is Mm -hmm. because it causes what's known as an attention capture, which we stop and we think, what is that? And there's been studies done that show like our brain will continue to process this smell long after we've moved away from it. And that's like our cave person brain trying to understand what it is that we're smelling, whether we're in danger. So it's like, um, it's kind of like a human defense mechanism in a sense. That You we- know,
0: that is really fascinating, Amanda, because I have heard that the origins of some of those, um, let's let's call them dirty scents, like like we're talking about the dirty white flower scent, some of these dirtier scents may be developed to help insects, plants, and animals remember the location of things. So not just like, hey, I'm looking for sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh, I found some. But like, oh, here's sweet, sweet. And then also I remember to the left of that tree, there's that big cloud of funk over there too. So it's just like that one extra little thing to help you locate something. And I think that's interesting too, because what you were just talking about was uh, these primal reactions we have to things like uh, rotting meat or or uh, scat hole like something that's super fecal. That's primal. I think that... That's not a learned reaction to these things. But many of uh, the ways we feel about scent is developed, you know, from when we're a kid to an adult and you form connections with things, and scent is just such a powerful part of our memory. Like it makes me think like body odor, especially for somebody you're really attracted to, that is like, hey, great, I'm, I'm, let me get my nose right in there. But if I'm next to somebody on the subway, I'm not like, hey, buddy, do you mind if I stand a little closer? I'm like, how can I get further away from this person? So it's cool to see the different like, learned uh, attractions and then also things that we just want to avoid at all costs.
1: Well, something I also think is interesting when we see these, we'll smell these aromatics in flowers specifically is like most flowers are high note volatiles. So you're going to smell it and it's going to dissipate like fairly quickly. Whereas these like animal smells tend to cling and be heavier, more bassier notes, um, far less volatile. So they like remain, which was sort of pinging a little bit during this, like what you were saying about remembering locations, like these smells literally cling to an area, but in the context of a flower, like going back to, I love Jasmine. So I love the smell of it, but when you smell something that has this sort of stink to it, but that you're also like, that is pleasant because we're talking about like pleasant florals mixed with stink coming together. What it actually does is it draws you into it. You literally get drawn into it. Like when I smell Jasmine, I'm not just wafting it. I'm sticking my whole face in it. I'm sticking the petals like right in my nose, right in my face. Like I really bring it in. Like I I want it, you know? Like I really love that smell. And uh, beeswax is like that too. And beeswax is another sort of floral aromatic because beeswax has that kind of flowery smell but it also has this waxy aroma and it's also considered an animalic aromatic
0: oh i get that yeah yeah because the the almost like i don't want to say rancid but the oxidized plant lipids and fats that have all been collected and turned into this wax I have never thought of that as having a sort of like musky or animalic scent to it, but absolutely it does now that you bring because that up. It, also,
1: it has the high floral, right? Like beeswax does have a high floral smell. So, but think of a beeswax candle. I cannot walk past a real beeswax candle without literally shoving it on my face. Like I will put that thing right and you don't have to, you can smell it, but that's the kind of thing that these like clinging aromatics do. They pull you in and they make it like, I will every time, stick it right in my face. Like I love the smell of beeswax, but a normal bouquet of flowers, you don't necessarily stick your whole face in. Some things you just enjoy from like a natural distance.
0: Okay, so (laughs) let's talk about rose, because I I live in Portland, the city of roses. Every year we go to the rose test garden at least once, usually like five or six times, and I'm getting my nose into everything. Now roses, okay, uh, the unfurling petals, notwithstanding. But the scent of a rose is not sexy to me. It's not erotic. It's not something that I think people are even naturally attracted to. Rose tea is fine. It's good. Like a a rose milk ice cream or whatever, rose water ice cream, that's fine. It's okay. I don't think anyone's going gaga over these like you do jasmine. So why did rose get all the attention when all of these like actually sexy smelling flowers are just maybe part of a bouquet?
1: Well, I fell in love with roses when I lived in Portland. Like it really truly is the city of roses. And I know cities get named things, but really that is Portland in a nutshell. You go pretty
0: wild with it, yeah.
1: Oh man, they're everywhere and everyone's growing them. It's so amazing. And you'll start to notice they all have like really different smells. Like you really start to see variety when you're exploring the city gardens. The thing with rose is that I feel like as an aphrodisiac, it tends to fall under more of an herbal definition which is basically that it's sort of, um, it's a nervine, which basically means like it's aromatics and also taking it in a tea or whatever, a food form has an impact on your whole nervous system that leans towards anti-anxiety. And a lot of times people are looking for aphrodisiacs. What they're actually looking for is something that helps reduce your stress, energize your mind or body, like uplift your mood, um, appeals to your senses. You know, it has these stimulating characteristics, but it's also at the same time kind of relaxing and calming and brings this anti-anxiety effect because a lot of times I think stress is kind of a buzzkill. So if you were looking for de-stressing and to like get in the mood, something that's like a Nervine or anti-anxiety, would make sense to bring in. But I think like Rose has connotations like grandma energy because-
0: yeah, That's you know, exactly where I wanted to go next it? So
1: does Jasmine, so does Neroli. Like a lot of these yep. smells yep. Would fall into like a grandma smell category yes. and that's okay.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, we should talk about Neroli really quick because it's a good bridge to where I want to take us. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have, a Le Labo store here that we visit all the time and um, get a little obsessed with some of the fragrances. And um, Allie has been wearing the neroli a lot lately. And Amanda, you are well aware how neroli smells. It's it's kind of off-putting. It is sort of like wallpaper glue, scent, grandma, attention-grabbing. Um, but it's got that dirty white flower thing too, where it's light and clean and it it sort of smells bad. And now when she puts it on, I am super happy to smell it. Like I can smell it coming (laughs) from the bedroom all the way out to the front door. I know that it's on, but it's, it's so, uh, different than what most perfume is going to smell like, or like really light and floral and sort of vanilla cottony type thing that, uh, it's, it's really welcome around here.
1: I happen to be a huge, huge fan of neroli, like so that that excites me. I love that for you because I love the smell. Um, I tend to lean towards the essential oils. I didn't love the Lalabo brand neroli. Um, yes, it might be the fixative that they're using to bring it into like more of a perfume. But there was something about it that I just didn't connect with the way that I connect with like a true neroli essential oil. Me personally. But it's another good example of yeah it's considered an aphrodisiac right it has that under layer of smell like a lot of flowers are used as aphrodisiacs and in the sense where they're used as like perfumes baths and not food if like lot there's lots of food that are aphrodisiacs but i feel like they become two different categories like things that are food and things that are smells and most flowers are generally used rose might be the exception but like We would never eat neroli, we would never eat ylang-ylang, but we would like wear it. So I think there's like these two categories of aphrodisiacs. And weirdly, I feel like weed kind of falls in the middle because it's a flower and we don't eat it outright, right? But we can put it in things or we can consume it by smoking it. So in the sense that you consume it, but you also smell it. I feel like- Yeah,
0: no, right. And you're right, like, I don't want to eat a Gorilla Glue gummy, I have before, it's not great. But you know the right strawberry guava type thing does taste really nice to me, and it, it's interesting that you say that because I, I went on um, some perfume websites and I looked at everything that people were labeling as like erotic or or sexy or sensual, just to see what kind of accords those things had. And w- right up top, it's like ambers and woods and musks. So those are the things that I think if somebody's going to wear something, it is going to be those like deep fixatives that are going to last and are something that is more like kind of animalic just to begin with.
1: And I'd like to point out that Amber is not a real smell. Amber is almost always synthesized because Amber doesn't, it's like when something's blue flavored, you know, (laughs) Yes, a fruit, but like we get what it means. Amber is just like, not really the vibe, but it brings that, Basy woodsy thing. Like we all know what amber quote unquote smells like. Like it's a very yeah. distinct smell, but it's generally synthesized. But I feel like when looking at aphrodisiac aromatics, a lot of them overlap with smells we find in weed. So like black pepper, mm-hmm. like the beta karyophylline, the spicy notes that is often included in like, say aromatherapy blends for seduction. Uh, cedar woods. Yeah. Pinene also, because again, an aphrodisiac is gonna be like a little bit stimulating, a little bit relaxing. And then of course like the flowers, but also like things like vetiver and vetiver is basically like a resinous grass. Like it is this grassy deep note that is used in aromatherapy to cure headaches often. You'll use it for like headaches and stuff like that. Has this grounding sort of energy. So again, I could see why that would relate to an aphrodisiac because it's, it's just going to be calming your whole nervous system. So yeah.
0: I do but- like hearing about this because I, I always think of like people's reaction to things, um, but you're like, no, these are actually like molecularly making a difference.
1: Just- yeah. And um, rose molecularly also shares a lot of constituents with cannabis when it comes to aromas. So like nerol is common, uh, oxides. Esters, I know I'm just naming general categories, but like they're both really high in esters. Like we can't really just overlook that. And then pinene, myrcene, linen oil, very common in rose and rose essential oils. And myrcene is arguably like those three are some of the top terpenes in cannabis, as are esters, as aromatic molecules. So, I mean, I started to ask myself the question is weed an aphrodisiac? That's sort of where all of these weird bits and pieces are coming from. Yeah,
0: you're right. That is kind of the question that people are legit asking.
1: So I started wondering, and you know, I've always said no, I've always said no, because if you're looking at a plant and it's actual herbal actions that have been studied, one could argue that weed isn't, but honestly, the more I thought about it over like the past week that we've been discussing this episode, the more I think, that it kind of is. Maybe second tier. Like I wouldn't if I was recommending herbs, I wouldn't necessarily put cannabis as top tier, but if you were like creating a series of things that you could do, I would definitely like second tier level have aphrodisiac on its like list of actions if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. And here's the thing, it's not like Spanish fly. In fact, Cannabis is probably responsible for more uh, romantic connections going bad amongst novice users than it is about things going good because you can get in your own head and then things are awkward and then things are awkward. So it's not helping everybody, you know, it's not one of those like magic. Like I, I used to work at a dispensary and people come through and and ask that question, like, what can I get that will make me horny? And you're like, ah. Oh, And when you have a limited options on the shelf, then I go for things that are like, like you said, pining heavy or things I know to be uh, more energetic than sedative, because if somebody's going to come in and ask me that, then I'm going to point you in a direction, but thinking about it, like you're saying as more of a uh, bouquet of scents and having it around, not necessarily like smoking a huge joint of it can be, I think like, a really fun way to use cannabis.
1: If you're like the type of cannabis user that doesn't get those negative side effects generally, then I feel like I would recommend it as a potential aphrodisiac. And here's why. One of the lesser known, but commonly used aphrodisiacs in herbalism is weirdly oats. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in tincture form and it's not arousing. It's a fucking oat, but it does promote deep (laughs) relaxation. And so an herbalist might recommend that as part of an aphrodisiac blend. You know what I mean? Because it would basically gives you that de-stressing, anti-anxiety feeling that could put someone in the mood. I feel like I honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I was thinking it would. And it actually took me into an even weirder place because... There is another category of herbs known as nervines and nervines are basically herbs that have an effect on your nervous system. And there's different categories of nervines. So for example, like an acute nervine might be something known as a hypnotic. And that basically means it's like anti-insomnia. Like it helps you sleep, which we know weed does. Like if you use cannabis at night, high dose THC, it is a hypnotic. It will put you to sleep and it treats insomnia, right? And then you have this other category of acutely. Acute means like you're using it not over time. You're like using it for a short period of time. So an anodyne would basically be like pain treatment. So if you have like a severe toothache, you might take cloves. Like it's an acute solution to a problem that could be solved. Um, Whereas chronic pain would be more of like That's not acute, that's long-term, and you would use a tonic herb for that. I feel like I'm being really confusing because I ripped a doobie right at the start of this fucking episode, and now I'm trying to get into, like, really scientific things here. We're going to roll with it. So acute anodyne would treat pain, which, again, people do use cannabis in that way, too. Now, tonically, as I was just saying, which is something you would use over time, it's not damaging to take, like, long-term use like chronic pain, chronic anxiety, and this falls under another herbal category known as adaptogens, which I know everyone's getting real hot on adaptogens. So then I was like, is weed an adaptogen? And I feel like it kind of fucking is. So many adaptogens also are nervines and this is all like coming back. And if we use nervines in combination with stronger aphrodisiacs, like the true definition of an aphrodisiac is something that excites, nourishes, sustains, and elevates your desires, and we're using combinations of other things. Like rose is also a nervine because it's calming and soothing, and it's an aph- like these things can be many things at once. So, technically, I would argue that weed falls under the umbrella of many of the herbs and the herbal actions that we would use as aphrodisiacs.
0: I like this. I think it is <laughs> definitive at this point. No, oh, really. And so, okay. Ideally, what, this is what we need. An oat milk ice cream with a little bit of rose water and some, uh, uh, some cannabis elements on top. Maybe we could do like um, a terpene brittle with some cannabinoids that, that would complement it. And then we have condensed all of these scents flavors and unguents <laughs> down into a, uh, Hey, a dessert that, uh, would really turn you on. So I, mean, I think we got it.
1: I know no one's testing for it and it would literally be insane if people started testing their weed for like indole and scatel. But like realistically, a strain that was like high in those elements would actually probably be an aphrodisiac level strain to go in the mix of everything you just described. Terpene brittle sounds really weird, but let's roll with it.
0: <laughs> you know what? I think we're going to take that one back to the shop. Uh, we're gonna We're going to make a syrup um, I never did like toffee. Uh, no, but I, I really I really do appreciate what you're saying because the, it's a question that people get asked a lot. And I just gave you the ham-fisted response that a bud tender is going to give you. Like, I guess this thing on the shelf, man. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Let's think about cannabis in general and not just what we have within arm's reach. And flowers are made to be an attractant the complex bouquet of chemicals and aromas and everything else that cannabis has managed to create and that we have like fostered along the way has made these things into like a powerhouse of these compounds and use them to your advantage like they might help you relax or focus or um, keep your excitement up and all of those things are are great when you want them right (laughs)
1: I think the last thing I want to do on a Wednesday is talk about arousing things with fucking Ryan over here. I Um, know,
0: I know. In fact, you're gonna have to like like, cut out the things that I'm like, I don't even want to talk about this.
1: Okay, let's put a pin in that, but I will just finish on a sensual note here because I also think that historically when we're talking about plants, and I don't want to derail from smell too much here, but like A lot of things in the beginning when people didn't really know what their purposes were what they were used for they kind of did this like comparative thing like a carrot you know that looks like an eye when you slice it a tomato looks like a heart um tomatoes are good for your heart carrots are good for your eyes if you look at a rose it has a skin-like sensuality about it right like the texture of a rose the texture of a rose petal It really reflects like this sort of like a literal sensuality like that's its whole vibe it's soft supple if you will now let's talk about what weed looks like because to me if i had to describe a cannabis plant in one word or the flower in one word i would say playful i think it's like it sparkles the leaves are kooky it's exploding like it's exciting like to me weed is just like the definition of a plant that's really playful
0: Okay. I, I I will go with you on this one. It's like weed is always uh, doing something. It definitely has a personality. When I go into somebody's garden, I feel like it's always doing something. So yeah, I get you. It's it's a fun thing. It's a fun plant and it looks cool too. And no, it's it's not about to be the bouquet you bring home to everybody on Valentine's. Some people are really going to appreciate that one.
1: variety of strains today you really can do some fantastic pairings like chocolate strains like heavy floral strains for sure anything that has like a jasmine or rose undertone but like cherries strawberries guava chocolate like these are all flavors that you can very easily find in weed today and you can really start pairing some things that go well together
0: speaking of pairings uh i know both of us have been kind of trying to collect some strains recently um, to write about that might be kind of good fit for the holiday. So what have you found? What have you been smoking on? And also like, what would you recommend?
1: You know, this week I tried a mint chocolate chip strain, which normally Um, I would never go for. Like I'm such a fruit blue pink person that I would, if I saw it, it would just not be the first thing to jump out, out at me. And I loved it. It was really heavy, like bakery cookie batter, like not cookie, just batter This subtle sweetness of batter. Um, And I think that's the chocolate kind of that was coming through. And then as I was smoking it, it was leaving a slight cooling mint feel in in my mouth. I actually felt like my lips were like feeling minty, which really surprised me because when I smelled it, I did not get mint whatsoever. But when I tasted it, I understood the name mint chocolate chip.
0: I think that's really cool. Uh, I, it's probably the exotic genetics, Mike, mint chocolate chip. When I was with FITUS, uh, Amanda, shaking her head yes. To oh yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When I was uh, with FITUS, they did a, a big pheno hunt of those, uh, of a couple of packs. So um, I think there was probably like 12 females in the end. And so we got to try all of those. And some of them were so minty to the point that it almost like had a throat kick to it. And so you would smoke it and almost want to cough because it was too strong. So I think it's, what a fun one to find and find like a really nice expression of that like had, that was balanced enough that you're like, oh, my lips are even kind of tingling from that.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was really great. I'm trying to remember where I got it from, let's see. Oh, Sweetgrass Organics. Um, it was from Sweetgrass Organics. And yeah, and it was also just like a really, you know, beautiful nug, just like glittery. It Yeah, it just reminded me of like sneaking scoops of cookie dough. Like it had this sort of tempting, you know, element to it. Like it drew me right in. And so, yeah, I think I might be into more bakery flavors thanks to this strain.
0: Ooh, wow. Well, I mean, that's that's a rare profile. So I hope you find something you really like too.
1: Yeah. Um how about yourself? Have you found anything or recommend anything?
0: I know some people have done the rose gold uh oh. and if you find a good expression of it it's a, it's like a low tester so it's not really like trending on the market right now because it tests 13 to 15% or something. But I've I've found expressions that smell really like that classic grandma rose profile which I think is just way fun. And then uh, recently, I got into some love affair from uh, Pacific Grove, the same people who had this uh, apples and oranges. And that really leads into what we were talking about earlier. It's a gorilla glue cross. Mm. So super funky, really great expression with almost foxtail look. If you're familiar with the way Gorilla Glue looks, it it gets all kind of spiky and and sticking out in all directions and this is doing the same thing. So yeah, just really good herb that smells just super funky and uh, in a way that I wanna go and like get the jar out right now and get my nose in.
1: It's funny because I have been trying more high THC strains lately. And every time I pick something up that's like 25% plus, I think about that study from last year Uh, I can't remember who put it out, but they were testing the enjoyability of different strains and across the board, what they found was that people actually preferred and had a more enjoyable experience around five to 10%. So like, even though you can have really high THC and people obviously enjoy that across the board, the strains tested, everyone preferred the lower THC. That sounds good to me. 15% love that.
0: Yeah, 17, I feel like is has been the sweet spot of everything I have really enjoyed and just been like, wow, this is some of the best herb I've ever had. Tends to live in that little pocket, you know, it's likely that there's room for cannabinoid production to take a backseat to terpenes and everything else. And um, the weed's just more enjoyable. And it's one of the reasons people like sun grown so much more.
1: As you're saying this, that's exactly what I was thinking. So back in the day, we had a blue dream. It was so strong and so tasty. It's the one that I always, that strain, that changed my life, right? It's the one I always talk about. And we thought after months of trimming it, that it was like 25, 26. We were like, oh, it must be a thousand percent THC. Like, so we're actually able to bring it in and test it. And I remember them coming back so disappointed because we had all guessed these super high numbers, but it was actually like 14%. And so, of course, as a grower, they're going to be disappointed because that's like what sells is higher amounts, but it was the best weed I've ever smoked.
0: Yes, exactly that, right? And it it's not like it lacked in effect or in trichome coverage or any of the desirable traits we look for in yeah. a... or whatever the inflated lab results say. So it is a little disheartening that uh, THC percentage is still running the market, ruining the market. It's uh, I I think why even classics like ChemDog um, are not always on the shelf.
1: Yeah, I can confirm my three days working in a dispensary this week. I can confirm that all everyone cared about was high THC. I get it. I, I do get it but if you know you know
0: someone fact check this for me it sounds like florida is doing their thc percentages on wet weed so it all comes back at like two or three percent and then the weed is cured i i don't know i'm very confused by this um i need to do a little more research uh but it was one of those things that really had me scratching my head
1: damn i've been hearing some horror stories the past few weeks actually about some of the the happenings in the states
0: Oh, hey, is there anything you can uh, talk about on the cast?
1: Dramatic pause. Uh, Let's do some news next week for sure, because I think there have been, I mean, this is our first episode back. We haven't, so that we haven't, there's a lot to cover. A lot has happened in the month of January in the world of weed, um, internationally, nationally. Things are changing very quickly
0: yeah it is it is really surprising to see um, consolidation happening faster than ever, regulations changing, possible like nationwide regulations changing. Yeah, just when it feels like weed is settling down a little bit, it gets all shaken up again and probably not for the best.
1: Yeah, I did see this week that Berner came out and said that he's made zero money for all of I business. actually
0: believe that. I totally believe that. He's probably gotten paid a lot with, you know, partnerships he's made with brands, some of which don't exist anymore. But sure, he's probably not making money on weed. Not a lot of people are.
1: I mean, that just really surprised me because cookies is such a recognizable brand um, with the blue packaging, the cute little C and like it's everywhere you see it. Like it's very present here at least one. Well, anytime I've been in the States, I've, I've seen it in most dispensaries. So, mine is Portland. Portland is more of a craft market, so I will say that. But yeah, uh, there's
0: a cookie shop or two if you know where to find them.
1: Yeah, but here for sure. And yeah, there's cookie shops literally everywhere. So I'm like, mm-hmm. damn. That if I if I had to guess, anyone that could be doing well, I really genuinely would have guessed cookies.
0: It is surprising, but you know, you go to the mall and you see cookies sweatshirts for sale. And uh, the last time I was there, there's a gigantic cookies pillow. That, I mean, this thing was huge. It was like the size of a bed. I don't know who this is for.
1: You know what's so funny and so busted? Uh, So cannabis has been legal here for five years and Mm -hmm. brands came on strong with the swag, like in the beginning, like the first year was like, we, and we've complained about it because some of it was really weird. A lot of t-shirts and I'm not a wear your brand girly. So I hate getting hats, t-shirts, swag, bags, all that stuff. But there was an era where I was seeing so many homeless people wearing Canna brand swag because there was so much of it and it was all ending up in donation bins. So it was like really, really common to see someone on a street corner wearing like a ready can t-shirt, like very uncomfortably common.
0: (laughs) Yes. So we are there now. We are in peak redistribution of the weed swag. Many times I see somebody wearing like a, I won't call anyone out, a lab that used to be in business. And I have to be like, oh, hey, did you work there? No, that's just a sweatshirt you're wearing. Cool. Um, so it's interesting because it's like, I don't know if I'm talking to a scientist or if I'm talking to somebody who uh, twirls signs on the weekend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's how it goes. I mean,
0: cheers. My uh, my closet is full of a lot of ill-fitting weed swag that I just imagine I'm gonna package up and sell on eBay someday. Someone will want some historical Oregon box of wheat swag in a size medium, you know?
1: That's honestly, that's kind of what I was thinking too. I'm like, it could be like, any one of these brands could be the Coca-Cola vintage, Coca-Cola energy in 50 years, right? Like that shit goes for a lot of money. So who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? reasons
0: to hoard swag, yes.
1: Like we might see a hundred years from now, Cookie is fucking OG little C with the blue as being like, you might want to hang on to it or it might become a situation where in 50 years you die and your kid is left with boxes and boxes and boxes of like Beanie Babies that are worthless, right? So it's like, it really could go either way.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably the latter. I'm um, just thinking, I was like, I think I do have like a Beanie Baby like in a safe at my parents' house. Like, oh, the, this thing someday. Hey, put this in the back because we're all going to be rich off this uh, stuffed camel with a bent tag.
1: So this Valentine's Day, make sure you get your sweetheart, a beanie baby, timeless, really.
0: Beanie baby, uh, a jar of weed that you can smell, but not smoke because it will ruin the mood. Oregon weed swag from nine years ago.
1: We should branch out into like subscription boxes because that sounds like fucking fire.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We might be like uh, 10 years late on the subscription box. Game. Well, send everybody out of here with some tags. Uh, I'm at the loud 100. Where can we find you, Amanda?
1: As usual, you can find me at emerald.temple.living. This will actually be a very exciting time for my Instagram over the next few weeks because the cannabis literary showcase is coming up. I have 25 authors and publications confirmed. Oh, that's so rad. New magazines, some established magazines, some fantastic. Canonical books like um the Big Book of Terps. Russ is part of the showcase, um, and some new books that have just come on the market. Um, actually, I'm gonna highlight one. It's called The Budtender's Guide to the Galaxy, and it just came out um, from a Canadian named Dylan. I'm not sure if it's Bruck. I'm sorry, Dylan. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. B R U C K. Anyway, it's called The Budtender's Guide to the Galaxy, and he's written reviews. On 400 different strains. Whoa.
0: Hey, good work, man.
1: Epic. It's so epic. So that's been really fun to kind of like flip through and just like a really cool project that I think some of our listeners would really love. So yeah, maybe I'll be highlighting some more on the podcast as well, but that's one of the best ones I got this week. Let's keep the conversation going.
0: Follow us on Instagram at the.smokingspot. And if you've stuck around this long, rate us five stars.
1: And don't forget to subscribe to get the first updates on future episodes.
0: Sandom matter, what kind of pain can English me bring you? Or oh, smoke it up, pull it down, and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find the smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find the smoking spot.
1: Smoking spot fans, we're here to tell you about the newest launch from Sentelligence Projects.
0: Over the last year, we've created the Cannabis Aroma Wheel. It's a sensory tool designed to help canna take their knowledge to the next level. So whether you're a bud tender, dispensary owner, cultivator, or you just love the smell of weed, you can better appreciate the cannabis in front of you.
1: Get your copy of the most detailed sensory tool built specifically for the cannabis industry and order your Cannabis Aroma Wheel today at intelligenceproject.com.